From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 459, Digital Resilience with guest Alan Sharp Paul. Recorded Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. And if you haven't gone to the Run As site lately, you need to check it out because we've got a brand new website, and it includes a comments engine. And for the first time ever, I'm going to read a comment rather than an email on the show. This particular comment comes from show 455, one I did with Stephen Murawski from Chef, where we talked about PowerShell and desired state configuration. This particular comment comes from Philip Derbeko, who says, This was a great show. However, I have to say that there's still a long road to walk with configuration tools. We have looked at DSC recently, and while it looks promising in keeping the same configuration, two areas are lacking, reading initial state and the, quote, what has changed measurements. Uh, by reading initial state, I mean I I want to be able to point DSC to an existing server image and say, this is my golden image. And then right now I can't do that at all. And it's a pity because currently the golden image is the most common way of working. What has changed is actually the other way of looking at what DSC is doing. Right now, DSC is hashing the configuration so you can check if anything has changed, but there's no way of knowing what has changed. It might be the case where the change is desirable, and I actually want to back it into DSC, but right now, there's no way to calculate the differences. And on an unrelated note, we are making tons of progress in the automated IT area and starting to understand that our current abysmal state is deeper and deeper. Uh, with you, Philip, I think it's, it's an interesting way to think about DSCs. It's, it's good for Greenfield where you're going to be able to build up a sort of known state of configuration because it's really a configuration for, as code mentality. But I suspect there's some tools out there that would help you with that. And, and perhaps today's guest will help you. Uh, but before we get to that, thank you so much for your comment and a precious and rare run as radio mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a run as radio mug write a comment on the website at runasradio.com pick a show that speaks to you tell us a little more about what you're doing what's going on there if i read it on the show i'll send you a mug our guest today is alan sharp paul the co-founder and co-ceo of upguard that's formerly known as script rock the makers of the cloud-based configuration monitoring tools that have been a sponsor of the show for almost a year and a half now a web developer by trade, he has spent more years than he'd care to admit working in corporate IT at companies like Expedia, Lloyd's, and CBA. And while based in the Valley, Alan is far more interested in solving the problems facing small businesses and the enterprise than he is in getting caught up in this so-called bleeding edge. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be back. And, and glad to have you. And I, when I read that comment originally on the website, I thought, you know what this guy needs? <laughs> I think this, this guy needs to listen to your advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So let's of the show, it's like this is what UpGuard does. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 very much almost a, a word for word description of, of of kind of how we started and and why we started. Because um, yeah, I think early on, or I guess late on in our in our corporate careers, but but just before we we started the business, we were having very similar 
experiences using using automation uh, tools, various automation tools and products. Um, and that you know, as, as you mentioned, great great for greenfields, um, great for highly skilled and experienced operators. But but certainly when you when you're getting going, and and, and particularly when you're dealing with um, a relatively large legacy environment, what you really want to do first is get a handle on what do I actually have right now? What is what is the actual configuration and makeup and state of my environment right now? How are how are these five servers that should be configured the same way actually configured? Um, and then once you've got that good handle on, on on how things are configured and your your state as of your as is state, then you can start worrying about um, you know, how do I automate this and um, uh, you know how, how do I yeah how, how do I make this better? How do I automate this? How do I make this more scalable? Um, so yeah, certainly, uh, certainly, certainly a very relevant, uh, comment. Yeah, no, my, my, my pleasure. That's just, it was perfect timing. Should bring it up. And, uh, it's just interesting to think about we, what it would take to take an existing system and get it to a place where you felt like it was fully configuration as code to actually be able to light a new one up and just switch to it. You know, we, I've been doing shows in this space. We were talking about uh, some of the new management suites around cloud and so forth. And this idea of I have an entire system outlined as an executable block that I can deploy on demand. But getting existing systems there, it seems almost impossible. Like you almost have to start over to make that happen. It's it, it's difficult. It's it's not easy. And I think I think a lot of the issues, a lot of the problems from a vendor or a product perspective is that um, you know something we we often discuss. Uh, internally is that, you know, a lot of these vendors seem to be, they're very much focused on the destination. So like whether your destination is, you know, full automation or your destination is, uh, you know, completely being moved, you know, migrated to the cloud. Um, these are all great things to aspire to. And of, of course, we all want to, we all want to get there. We understand very clearly what the benefits of, of automation or cloud, um, or, you know, now let's say containerization as well. We understand what the benefits sure. are. Um, but you know, it's it's at the top of a hill, and we're at the bottom of a hill. And what we actually need is we actually need vendors, products, solutions that help us on the journey as well. It's because we can't, as much as uh, some of us would like to throw out some of the legacy systems we've been lumped with, uh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, you um, don't get to just start over. You don't. You but don't. No. <laughs> it's also a hard problem to solve. Taking a meaningful snapshot of a machine in a way that you know. Uh, what its state is so you compare it to another machine and see the differences. Like, well, you, you, what do you look at? You can't do a bite for bite comparison. It's got to be much more articulate than that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I guess that's one of the, one of the fundamental problems, uh, we, we tackled at, um, uh, yeah, Script Rock and now, now UpGuard, um, with the, with the, with the rebrand. Um, yeah, just, just getting across, um, you know, getting across the entire state of a, of a server or a network device. It's not, um, uh, yeah, it, it's not it's not easy, and uh, in some cases you do need to focus on what's important. Um, you know, for example, when when we do a scan of a server, we do not scan the entire disk drive by default. Um, we have you know intelligent and uh, uh, you know def- defaults that make sense, and then we allow customers to uh, to configure and, and, and tweak those um, as makes sense for them. But um, so yeah, it's it's certainly not an, not an easy task. You um, yeah, you certainly want to focus on that on that twenty percent of the con- configuration initially. Um, you know, it has the most impact, but, um, but yeah, as far as we're concerned, we, we are trying to get as, as much of that state, uh, as possible. So, I mean, once we're there, this whole mentality is very much that DevOps mentality is about creating reliable, reproducible systems. 
And uh, I mean, it's a beautiful place to get to. There's just a lot of pieces of getting there. But there's also a question of how you actually validate that. How do you know you've built a system that's that's that reliable? Absolutely. And I think a lot of, and one of the problems or some one of the issues we, we, we often see with the way um, customers are approaching this is, is they'll they'll say that they're relying almost on on their automation systems to also be validation um, systems as well, right. and you know, effectively you're 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 allowing the system that's changing and modifying um, your servers or your network devices to also be exactly the same system that's reporting back to you as to whether the correct thing has been done. <laughs> um, and you know we 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 believe quite strongly that's fundamentally flawed. Um, you know, obviously, if you know, we talk about configuration or you know, infrastructure as code. Yep. Um, code has bugs. If you have a bug in your code, it will do what you told it to do. Um, but not and, what you uh, want it to do. Exactly, not what you want it to do. So, <laughs> I mean, again, that, that that's kind of a uh, that's kind of fundamental reason um, uh, for our for the existence of our product is, is being that sort of that um, uh, impartial uh, third party. That um, doesn't matter what's changing your systems. It could be uh, it could be Chef Puppet DSC. Um, it could be a sysadmin going in manually making tweaks. It could potentially be malware or you know some sort of uh, you know fundamental issue as well. If you've got something standing back and, and analyzing everything, looking at its current state, looking at how it's how it's changing, um, that's the only way to really guarantee that you you know exactly what's going on. And I do appreciate this idea that we are, we want to be able to make changes in the system and have those tools tell us, hey, these changes were made. Like, that's actually good news. You know, we made changes, they've been propagated, here's where these changes occurred, and you can say, yep, make that the new golden image, we're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that can be a challenging thing as well, because obviously, when you define what a change might be on a machine, it might be, you know, might say upgrade package X. Now, the actual and this is often what will be defined within an automation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what actually happens on the machine, though, I mean, the, the dependencies and the flow-on effect of that of that single sentence um, can actually be much more, um, obviously, much more extreme because dependencies get dragged in different files, services start up, services stop. Um, so actually, actually having a full full view and full understanding of exactly what that high-level change meant on a machine that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, one of the one of the models and, and methods. Um, we actually use with customers is that um, this whole notion of obviously doing a, a test deployment or a test update of a machine. Um, if you're scanning that machine with some with a tool uh, like UpGuard, um, when you when you do something like a test deployment or a test update, you can actually get this this exact pre and post um, view of how that machine looked, and then you can get a difference of exactly what the difference between those uh, between those two states were. That difference actually becomes. You know, this is exactly what a successful change should look like. And that's something you can then apply. Uh, in our world, you can actually convert that automatically in, into what we call a policy. But then you can apply that policy to um, machines in production as you do the change for real. So that's, that's kind of one method um, uh, we use or, or customers of UpGuard use um, to, get, to get on top of exactly what should be changing and, and validating that. Interesting. So you may be, uh, I mean, I could see you doing this with a patch from Microsoft too. The fact that, that then you have a tool that shows you that means this DLL moves from this version to this version and that DLL moves from this version to the version to have a map of all of those changes. And then rather than treat them as you know, 15 separate little updates, it's now this is the change set go apply to these other machines exactly exactly and that and that change set might be a it might be a union of several things as well sure why wouldn't um, it be? 
exactly. Yeah, you might be taking on patches from a vendor. You're taking patches to certain products. Your software updates in several different areas. But in the end, it all manifests itself as this is V3 of this service. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I like that thinking in terms of how we organize stuff. Less about individual discrete products and more about the services that we're ultimately responsible for the care and feeding of. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like change, change validation and uh, unauthorized change detection are um, kind of dull topics, but um, they're two really, really um, important, uh, uh, you know, kind of pain points for our customers. Um, and, and certainly one of the hardest areas to get right. And that's effectively, if you think about change management, you kind of, if you, if you can imagine for a second, you've kind of got two circles. One of the circles is, this is the stuff we want to do or we say we're going to do. And the other circle is, this is the stuff that actually happens. And, and, and ideally, those, those two circles um, overlap perfectly, that everything you say and want to do is exactly what happens in your systems. Right. What, what happens in reality is that they don't overlap perfectly and on on kind of the, the left-hand side, if you will, you've got um, stuff we said we were going to do, but we didn't do correctly. So, you know, actual <laughs> change that hasn't been validated. And on the other side, we have unauthorized change, such as someone's gone in uh, completely independent of change control or independent of a run it on these servers first, now run it in production. Yeah, probably not from a malicious perspective, although it might be. No, no. I mean, it's certainly possibly malicious, but in the, in the vast majority of cases, absolutely not malicious. I mean, mm-hmm. in some cases, it's just, oh, while I'm on this box, I'll, I'll do the shortcut. Uh, yeah, I'll just take care of this thing as well. So very, very difficult, uh, almost impossible to pick up in, in in many cases, unless it unless it causes a problem that has a ripple on effect that you know you have to look into it. Um, but otherwise, very, very difficult to notice that kind of configuration drift and that kind of unauthorized change uh, taking place within a system. Yeah, and, and I mean, up until now, we've largely dealt with this by locking things down so hard you can't change anything. This sort of very security mindset. Nobody has privileges to make these alterations and so forth. And it, it creates its own set of encumbrances too. It's like now you have to go to the guy with the magic keys to do basic updates. This slows down the agility of upgrading systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess this is, that's one of the key things that, um, you know, the DevOps movement was, was trying to, was trying to address. And, and certainly automation, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're doing automation properly, then you know it it should be instilling a little bit a little bit more discipline. Obviously, the flip side of that coin is um you know automation can get you into more trouble um, faster. Sure, yeah, no, some people might argue as well. To screw up, you know, is human, but to do it ten thousand times in a row that takes a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it, I do think we are running into, as we try to get further and further in this DevOps mentality, we start seeing securities more and more this business impediment because they've focused on these sort of restrictive approach, ask permission to do anything mentality. And you, and you just can't be agile in, in those kinds of conditions. So you need tools like this to be able to, to see what happened, at least have a good record of how things changed. And who changed them? Absolutely, and the and the stakes the stakes are a lot higher these days. I think, um, yeah, the interesting thing for for looking at um, you know the history of uh, you know formerly ScriptRock and now UpGuard um, as a product. When we started out, um, you know, we believed quite strongly in in you know the fundamental uh, you know benefit of just of just having full visibility into how your systems were configured um, and how they're changing. Now, the the kind of use cases or, or pain points we were addressing at the time. Um, you know, in many ways, it was a much more innocent time. This is sort of, you know, four or five years ago. Generally, what people were worried about within IT was, 
Um, they're worried about systems going offline. They're worried about you know downtime for customers. They're worried about um, they're worried about um, uh, projects taking too long and, and you know just burning through through way too much money. Now that was that was back then. You know, fast forward to today, and what everyone's worried about is obviously being breached. Um, you know, being hacked because um, you know the the uh, the systems of five five ten years ago were they were they were just as much of a mess in, in many respects. Um, but they were safely ensconced behind corporate firewalls. Um, now, you know, we're, we're, we're more connected. Systems are more complex. Um, everything's better, you know, in inverted commas. But for sure. Um, but obviously, it's a much riskier world. And uh, let me interrupt you for just a minute there, Alan, because Run As Radio is brought to you by UpGuard, formerly known as ScriptRock. UpGuard pinpoints configuration drift wherever it occurs within your environment, no matter the platform, and alerts you to unexpected changes happening on any machine. Vulnerability scanning and PowerShell DSC support come as standard, and the latest iteration of UpGuard is the only platform that gives you CSTAR, that's Cybersecurity Threat Assessment Reports, a FICO-like score for your cyber risk. Try it for free at upguard.com slash runasradio. So talk to me about this idea of a digital resilience, because I feel like we've been talking all the way around it, sort of from Gartner's view on this thing, that you have to get into being able to handle these changes and so forth, but you need to have a good record and you know not allow security to impair you. Yes, I think, I think one of the other shifts that we've seen, um, certainly from a security perspective and and we do present ourselves as a, as a digital, it's a relatively new term, but as a digital resilience platform rather mm-hmm. than a security platform. Sure. I think one of the major shifts we've seen is that, uh, you know, again, go back a few years, um, what most of the security vendors uh, were talking about was prevention. It was like, you know, this is how you stop attacks. This is how you prevent malware. Um, you know, this, this is how we can put up a wall and, and, and protect you from, um, from, you know, everything that's bad out there on the internet. Um, I think what we're, re- what, everyone's realizing now is that um, you know you want to still try to prevent things obviously um, but really it's much more about mitigation now and, and risk mitigation right. there's a yeah there's a risk that's out there um, but as my uh, my co-founder Mike likes to say that we've moved from the um, you know the two certainties of life of death and taxes you know we've added a third on now and it's, it's breaches right well and then this is the conversation I'm having with pen testers these days it's like I'm always gonna get in it's what happens next that matters and exactly, and that's much more where where the notion of digital resilience um, uh, comes in, because you can you can think you have uh, uh, you know very very strong walls around your business, but mm-hmm. if, if someone finds one little crack in, and you haven't taken care of the you know I guess the the integrity um, of, of of your systems uh, behind those walls, then you're in a lot of trouble. Particularly as we've seen, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the OPM, the the US government hack. I mean, they were in there for eight nine months. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's. It's it, it's it's scary. So but it's the thing is, you got a crack in your walls, but the crack doesn't show. Exactly. Yeah, you, you've, you've got no idea. No, yeah, you don't no know you've been penetrated, and you don't know how extensively. You know, it, it, even if you do, you know, one of the things we got into that was like, hey, every single machine had the same administrator's password. So once we've cracked one, we crack them all. But even then, you don't necessarily know what's happening. Exactly. I mean, that reminds me of that Mongo that Mongo DB hack with the default password being out uh, on the internet and yep. I think as of six when, when it was announced there was 600 terabytes of data completely unprotected on the internet that, that they found so yes yeah, scary stuff and, and often often um, because you're so focused or because you had been so focused on keeping people out um, we, we, we look less and less at what's going on behind you know behind our firewalls so to speak right um, but that's where that's where the vast majority of the damage majority of the damage is actually done 
Yeah, and so this idea of being able to detect any changes in your machine it could, you know, once you de- it starts with being able to detect that something's happened. Now you could start doing the assessment of, so why did that happen? How did that happen? And that might lead you to, you know, you're backing into a security breach now. You're not looking at the crack in the wall. You're looking at the actual damage being done. Exactly. And again, for us, it comes back um, digital digital resilience. Um, like what is fundamental to digital resilience is, is simply visibility. It's, it's you know, what, what do I have? What's going on? What's changing? Is that good change? Is it bad change? Um, uh, you know. Is my software appropriately patched? Do I have any vulnerabilities on my system? Right. All these relatively fundamental things um, that are very easy to overlook, and particularly, you know, again, um, you know, as much good as the DevOps movement has done, I think DevOps was very much about making things faster, making things, uh, you know, more scalable, making, uh, uh, you know, you're know, pushing forward with progress, but um, sometimes, uh, you know, at, at the expense of you know complexity at the expense of being a little bit more brittle on on the security side, and I think I think that's the price we're paying now for all the progress we've made the last ten to fifteen years. I mean, and again, no one can deny that you know we live we live in a better or if, if not better, some people might just argue more convenient world. But you know the price of being able to bank online, the price of having our friends and families you know the, the, the touch of a button away, no matter where they are, all over the world. You know the price has been that we are we are much more vulnerable. Um, from a security perspective online. Yeah, and well, the one way you can guarantee that email phishing attacks won't work is don't let anybody on your email. <laughs> exactly. So turn all your computers off. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll be just fine. Yeah, if we didn't have any computers, we wouldn't have all these breaches. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I still feel like we kind of need a starting point here for a lot of organizations. Uh, just... Is it about instrumenting internally enough to know there's a breach? Um, uh, ideally, yes. I mean, I mean, we. I'm, I'm quite biased, obviously, but I'd certainly argue that your starting point is just getting a handle on right. on, on, on what you have right now. Um, understanding understanding the lay of the land, understanding internally um, your, your position, it, it, it's crucial. And um, as again, as fundamental and as a straightforward thing is uh, that is to say. Um, what we've seen and, 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 you know, both in the places we've worked and, um, with, with some of the, the, the companies we've dealt with is that, that, that level of visibility that you, that you'd expect or you'd hope, um, uh, people have, they, they just don't have it. Right. Um, and again, I think, I think the amount of change and the amount of progress we've made, uh, again, has been at the, at the expense of, um, complexity, at the expense of understanding and also at the, at the expense in many instances of, of the capability of people to, to keep up with the new technology. Um, yes, yeah, so from the, uh, you know, an, an interesting example to look at is, you know, in terms of automation, and this is something, um, uh, we, we saw ourselves in, in projects we're working on is that you could very quick, with a, with a, with a good team, with a good core team, you could make a lot of progress in a very short amount of time on an automation project. Right. Um, what you struggled with was, was making that, was making that automation project a success ongoing. Um, you know, disseminating or, or spreading the skills and the capability to support that. Um, system throughout the organization. I think, um, you know, again, with a lot of the new technology and a lot of progress we've made, um, I think the capability gap, the average capability gap between the people using these systems and the technology they're working on, I think that has, that has widened somewhat in the last few years. And again, 
um, uh, you know, that when that capability gap widens, you, you open yourself up to misconfiguration, you open yourself up to, uh, um, you know, to, to, to being hacked and breaches and, um, uh, you know, uh, those, those sort of problems. Do you see the automation as ultimately a liability or is it just that we build it in such a way that it's brittle and constantly has to be replaced and circumvented? Oh, I, I certainly wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't call it a liability. I mean, used, uh, like like most tools used properly and used um, judiciously, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it can do wonders. I think I think you just have to keep pace. Uh, you know, as you're pushing forward with with automation or or any new technology, um, you have to make sure that your ability to support that technology um, keeps pace with with how widespread you you make it in your organization. Yeah, well, and it's I mean I want a lot of stuff to be automated. But I guess, you know, the other piece of this is not enough just to make it work. It's actually got to be secure and got to be auditable. Like you need a trail to show what it did, how it did it, and, you know, who invoked it, that sort of thing. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's okay to have trust and faith, but, um, yeah, when it comes to computer systems, you need something a, a little bit more solid than that. <laughs> a little more, res- yeah, you're actually sure. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, I'm, a, I'm reading these Gartner principles of resiliency and it's like, these are all DevOps type thinking, but they're trying to drag it into the security space as well, which I think is very challenging. Security folks are, are quite conservative and, uh, it's easier to lock stuff up than it is to, to instrument everything coming and going. Yeah. And I guess, I guess with good reason, I mean, uh, we live in an interesting time as well. I mean, something that, um, you know, we only, you know, became fully aware of the, of, of the impact of it, um, relatively recently. But, um, you know, we live from a, from a breach, um, perspective. Obviously, um, the, the amount of breaches, the amount of, um, uh, these kind of issues that are occurring right now is very, very high. Um, so high, um, in fact that, um, you know, a business's typical safety net, um, in this regard, which is insurance, mm-hmm. um, uh, the cyber insurance market is is kind of fundamentally broken at the moment because just as just as you know uh, our kind of um, you know value prop to businesses has been you know get a handle get an understanding on what you have because to date they generally haven't had as good an understanding as they would have liked um, when they don't when businesses don't understand their internal systems um, they can't really they don't really understand their IT risk yeah I can't imagine anyone giving you cyber insurance when you're not instrumented well enough to even know if you were breached. And, and this is and this is the problem. And this is actually a massive problem right now because a typical cyber insurance, um, uh, you know, policy. The way companies go about getting that is that they'll there's like a two page um, questionnaire with, you know, questions as mundane as do you use antivirus and um, <laughs> and it's literally that just a like a, a two page. Do you have a firewall? Exactly. And and, and so fundamentally, so they uh, insurers today they actually have no idea. Um, they don't have actuarial tables no. um, that tell them exactly what the risk um, for a particular business is, and that and that scare that obviously scares them. I mean, if in some instances they're almost like charities in this area at the moment, they're kind of like, well, we're insurers, so it's our job to provide insurance. But you know, upwards of forty percent of these policies are now getting claimed. Sure. Um, so they're starting to actually pull back as well. And you this- think? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, how did you write that policy in the first place without enough understanding one way or the other? Like, to actually assess someone and say, what's your risk level? Because in the end, I think the answer right now is you're all at risk. Uh, absolutely. And 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 they're reacting uh, well, in unsurprisingly knee-jerk ways right now. Like, uh, towards the end of last year, policies across the board, I think were, the premiums were doubled. Um, they're starting to pull back from the key industries of finance, retail, and health. 
obviously the three industries that, that need um, that need coverage the most. They're, right. they're imposing caps. They're saying, look, we'll insure you, but we're only going to insure you for $100 million worth of loss. Well, you know, I think the, the, the target breach alone was uh, ended up costing you know, at least three, I think it was upwards of $300 million um, was, was the end cost of that. So we're in this situation now where the, um, you know, on the other hand, be- with that kind of money in play, you think people would spend a bit on their security? You would, you would. <laughs> um, but again, you no, know, and they should. They obviously they should be doing as much as they can to, to mitigate the risk. Um, but at the end of the day, they still need to cover themselves for that instance where something that um, you know for whatever ever reason may may have been unavoidable. And if if they if they can't get that insurance, the kind of the truly alarmist view of that is that you may get into a situation or a position sometime in the not too distant future where certain businesses like almost will not be able to operate because right. they can't they can't insure themselves but this is ultimately a symptom of us maturing you know i'll sell you insurance but only if you pass this threshold of certification for security like i think this is where we're we're headed right is like we need a model that has some way of measuring the security of an organization exactly and that's and that's exactly what we're trying to do with this with this new c-star score that we're working on um, because one of the things we realize, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the, in, in the kind of ad break, it's, uh, you know, kind of like a FICO-like score for IT risk. Because what we realize is we were kind of uniquely placed for this because what, what we do as a business is we, is we discover the state and the makeup of, uh, of an organization's, um, uh, IT effectively. We, we scan servers, we scan network devices. Um, we get that entire visibility and almost blueprint of what they have. Um, and, and uh, we also do things like vulnerability scanning and, and policy runs on on top of that. So we actually realize we're in a very unique position to be able to provide not just a you know a two-page questionnaire, thumb in the air, these guys are a good risk, a bad risk kind of model, but actually an accurate, detailed um, level and understanding of exactly what the IT risk of an organization is. And, and admittedly, that's a moving fence too, right? Like here... New risks are going to be presented every time an operating system is updated. Every time a product's updated, it could have a new attack surface. Absolutely, and, and that's why these things are dynamic. Our, our list of vulnerabilities is dynamic and is um, is streamed down whether with our cloud hosted option or whether behind the firewall option. It, updates are regularly streamed to that because you're right. This is not you can't run you can't run a, a, a an upguard scan once, get a score, and go. Yep, we're good. Uh, everything's fine. You, right. You but really even if you it. run the scan again a year later, if you run it from the tools from a year ago, who knows what you're missing? You know, How like, do you mean, sorry? Well, uh, I'm just thinking there's going to be new exploits. There's going to be new risks. Like these tools need to be constantly updated too. Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, uh, what we do is we, we rely on external feeds. So we've got various OVAL feeds of vulnerability information, for example, um, uh, CIS um, uh, benchmarking and, and, and hardening policies. So we, we very much... There's only so much uh, insight you can get just purely from the underlying facts uh, about a system. You then need to layer on um, various views and, and, and content on top of that to get an understanding of, of how good it actually is. Really interesting. Well, Alan, a, a half hour flew by. Uh, some places we can send folks if they want to get a better handle on understanding what their, their risk levels are right now? Absolutely. You can uh, navigate to um, upguard.com. Uh, um, we've also got, uh, we've also recently released, um, a Chrome extension. Um, that's actually, cause there's two parts to our C-Star scan. There's an external scan and there's an internal scan. Um, with the Chrome extension, if you just search for UpGuard in the Chrome store, mm-hmm. um, it actually, as you browse the web, it actually provides you with an external scan, uh, C-Star score for every site you're on. 
So that's marking people uh, for things like whether they have SBF enabled, DNSSEC enabled, whether they're using um, you know SSL on their website. So a whole bunch of factors um, indicating, um, you know, at least from an external viewpoint. Um, the security standing of a particular business. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll provide those links on the show. Uh, Alan Sharp, Paul, thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Richard. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Radio.